Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the show Q with Tom Power. Uh, on the show, we talk to all kinds of uh, actors, writers, painters. I mean, big names you might have heard of. Like we had James L. Brooks talking about The Simpsons, Jada Pinkett Smith talking about Tupac. And on our show, artists go a little deeper than they might go elsewhere. I mean, the guys from Blue Rodeo kind of said that. We only talk about our relationship when we come on this show. <laughs> and we've done it damagingly and we've done it positively. <laughs> Listen to Q with Tom Power wherever you get your podcasts. This is Arts Educators Save the World, where successful artists and their mentors talk about how arts education transformed their lives. Hey, welcome, welcome, listeners, to this very special episode of Arts Educators Save the World. As y'all know, we have been in conversation with successful artists and their mentors about the impact of arts education. And today, we wanted to do something a little different. Welcome, indeed. Hi, everyone. Yes, this is a bit of a diversion, more of our after-school elective than part of the regular curriculum here. If you are tuning in today to check out what Arts Educators Save the World is all about, I do invite you to check out one of our earlier episodes where you're going to hear successful artists like Lin-Manuel Miranda, Josh Radner, Annalie Ashford, and others in conversation with their arts educator mentors. But today... As Erica said, we're doing things a little different. We're going to talk about the place where many of us see arts educators on TV. Now, I think the number one teaching profession you see on TV is probably athletic coaching because the thing their student is doing, sports, is inherently visual and cinematic, but also because sports coaching movies and TV shows like Hoosier, Friday Night Lights, and Ted Lasso are about mentorship itself, about inner drive, and about teamwork. But second to the coach has to be the arts educator. Dead Poets Society, School of Rock, Mr. Holland's Opus, Fame, Glee, even Barry, because these aren't just about the art itself, the singing, the dancing, the acting, and the poetry. They're about what it takes to be an artist and thus what it means to be human. When we got the idea for this episode, the perfect guest appeared to me. Listeners will know the hilarious Christina Anthony as Detective Lane in The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window, a Netflix series that I adored. Also, they will know her as Aunt Denise Johnson in both Blackish and Mixedish. But I first met Christina in Chicago in the early 2000s when she was writing and performing improv on the Second City stage. And lucky for me, and for the students in Chicago public schools, Christina also wanted to share her talents with young people. And she was a teaching artist with Barrel of Monkeys, the artist in residence program that I co-founded in Chicago. So Christina is not only a successful television actor, but an experienced teaching artist. And so when her acting career took her to Los Angeles, she brought that energy and commitment to uplifting kids' voices in the story pirates. So. Christina is the perfect, I was going to come up with something, the perfect peanut butter to my jelly, mm. the perfect combo meal, french fries to my cheeseburger for this particular conversation. Teaching artist, comedian, TV actress, Christina Anthony, welcome to Arts Educators Save the World. Thank you for having me, Erica. Thank you for that most gracious introduction. <laughs> Thank you. 
Jessica, welcome to your show. Thank you. Fantastic so to have you. So happy to be here today. <laughs> Good, Christine. Again, fantastic to have you here. We're going to look at three shows from three decades with arts education at the center of two of them and public education more broadly as the basis for the third. But let me start by asking you both this. In my other, other, other life, I'm a sign language interpreter. And so when I see anything on screen about American Sign Language or specifically about interpreters, my antenna go on full alert. I find myself being both overly critical and overly defensive. Can you tell me as arts educators, as teaching artists, about your experience generally seeing arts education portrayed on screen? Erica? My first reaction often takes me back to when I started making arts education programs with my partner, Helena Kays, and we would get invited to various forums for folks who deliver arts education programs. And we had been trained as artists, and so we were not educators. And we would encounter what we would affectionately refer to as the puppet lady, where the puppet lady brought her puppet to the state arts education sponsored dinner and had the puppet with her while we were having our social time. This was news to us that that was how arts educators saw themselves. Mm. And I think we vowed to be different from the puppet lady. Not that there was anything wrong with her approach, but that we saw ourselves as professionals making work that kids could also make. A thing that I often respond to when I see portrayals of arts educators is the perhaps infantilizing of young people and the infantilizing of art making as somehow different when children do it or different when non-experts do Mm. it. And that has not been my experience. My experience has been the art making process in a classroom, in an educational setting, looks identical to the art making process that I engage in with my peers, with my fellow professionals. And I look for portrayals of art making practices with young people that look as similar to portrayals of my own Mm. experience as an artist. Christina, what about you when you turn on the TV and the art teacher shows up, the music teacher shows up, the theater teacher shows up? What happens for you? What are you looking for? What are you concerned you're going to see or what are you excited to to find? I think I'm with you, Alec. I'm always a little bit defensive because I hate to see that in some portrayals of the art teacher or the theater teacher, this person is spacey and maybe incapable, kind of floating in from another world. And, you know, the costuming can kind of be just almost like slapdash, haphazard. I just pulled these 18 things out of my house. And it's like, why is this person wearing two hats and four (laughs) dresses at once? (laughs) They're artists, you understand? They're (laughs) artists, you see. (laughs) Also, that particular portrayal of that kind of loosey-goosey type of person, while they do exist, I wonder, does it deter some of our younger artists who would be phenomenal in the arts education space from wanting to go into that place because Mm. they don't feel that they fit that kind of stereotype. I also don't enjoy the idea of, while it is some people's story, that there are arts educators that are arts educators, not because they choose it, but because they couldn't hack it and go Mm. any further. And that makes me super angry sometimes. Because again, I think some of our best artists, world-class artists are in the classroom just because you do not see them on television or you do not see them in films working as an artist per se or exhibiting 
you know, worldwide or in museums that you recognize, they're still the top tier artists. Of course. And so that portrayal of like, if you can't do it, you have to become a teaching artist, I think also keeps our best young artists from mm. going into the teaching space as a real viable career. I mean, I, I supplemented my healthy wages from Second City, the $85 a night I was making. <laughs> uh, I supplemented with being a teaching artist. And it was at the time working for Barrel of Monkeys and what is now Playmakers Lab. It was a competitive part of my schedule and I, it was something I chose to do. I didn't do it because I couldn't do anything else. Right. And so I think that portrayal of those who can't do teach, oh, no, let's get rid of that. Right, right, right. It, it is in today. <laughs> That's right. And not to jump too far ahead, and I know that it's dated and has problems, but a thing I really like about fame, actually, is that the teachers are portrayed as professional artists right. in their yes. craft. And we see them being in that craft as part of the show. And I actually think that portrayal in many ways, I mean, it was Debbie Allen, right? Debbie Allen's the dance teacher. And you buy that that lady is a professional dancer who you want to learn from. Right. I found that part of fame, revisiting fame, to be compelling and exciting to me as a viewer. Right. I, I love what you said. It's so true, Christina, about the, the flighty. And we're going we're gonna to meet flighty teacher also, not to get to a head in the Abbott Elementary character. But yeah, you, I guess the portrayals do tend towards the, there's the traditional art teacher or flighty. And what's missing from that is like serious. The serious art teacher. And serious not meaning everyone take out your mimeograph sheets and let's all color in this thing. But serious meaning there is training to be had to do this job. There is work to be done. Okay, enough of this real life stuff, if, if we could. Uh, I want to talk about pretend. Um, okay. And so we're going to talk about television. All right, so let's rewind a few tapes in the VCR. And we're going to look back at some TV shows that have highlighted, spotlighted, if you will, artists and their mentors. And to start out, we're not going to make this easy for you. And right here is where you start paying in sweat. I am talking about fame, which came on the air in 1982 and brought us into the New York High School of the Performing Arts, now the Fiorello H. LaGuardia High School of Music and Art and Performing Arts, or for us New Yorkers, just LaGuardia. We all just watched the pilot. And so for listeners who want to do a deep dive, we invite you to pause and go check it out. It's just $1.99 on iTunes. And this is a show about professional artists teaching future professionals. Now, the English teacher says to her rowdy students, this is no song and dance class. This is English. You're going to take all your academic classes as seriously as you take your careers. This is still a high school. And I thought, there it is. The complete separation of what is art and what is academic. Mm -hmm. Erica, 30, 40 years later, can you help us a little? Can you help fame? Just help that English teacher just a little in her envisioning of the separation of these two things. So I, I want to be a little kind to that English teacher also, because what I actually thought of in the arc of education policy vis-a-vis -vis the arts was how in the 1980s, we actually saw a pretty expansive growth of public education funding, perhaps despite what we might think of the political climate of that time. 
And I actually thought it was kind of progressive that we saw a television show about a public high school that valued the professionalization of artists. Now, could I imagine a world in which that fictional English teacher worked with the fictional music teacher to create shared learning experiences? You know, I didn't get super deep into the show. I think we meet the math teacher. I think those are the only non-arts teachers that we meet. But the show mostly focuses on the lives of the arts teachers. I thought that was actually quite refreshing, that a, a mainstream television show in 1982 would think enough of artists and arts education and arts practice to put that bad boy on TV. And even though I have a lot of, of ideas, right, the nerd in me is like, oh, let me tell you how you could create a curriculum that would bridge the modern dance moments that Debbie Allen is teaching with the social <laughs> studies curriculum of the 1619 Project. But I think overall, I was excited that this made it onto television and stayed on television for for multiple years. Definitely. Uh, but I, I think you even glossed over something that is obvious to you and maybe now to our, our legion of listeners, but that little thing you just said of you can connect what's going on in class A with arts class B is not ubiquitous. No. Right? No. And that that is beginning, I think, to make its way into our discourse. The phrase arts integration is becoming more popularized, I think, in the education discourse. But that had to go through from 1982 when we had the full-time theater teacher, the full-time dance teacher, the full-time music teacher, all the way through to we don't have any arts full-time arts teachers left at all. Right. To now that we're at volunteer art teacher comes into your classroom, how can we think about the relationship between the goals that we have in art making spaces and the goals we have in quote unquote academic spaces? Right. Christina, how did the teaching at Music and Art at LaGuardia, whatever we're going to call this thing, how did it strike you? Well, I'm calling it Fame High School, for lack of a better name. And, oh, Erica, you were so nice in your description of that English teacher. She kind of ticked me off just because I think another part of her speech is you're going to have to do your work and it doesn't matter that you're cute or you're funny or you're talented. Mm -hmm. As if learning English and working on, you know, speech and all of those things in scene interpretation and scene analysis and scene study, as if those things are not required to know the English language and knowing how to break down language, as if that is not learning and talent put together. Yeah, that was very irritating to me. But I will say this, Debbie Allen's speech that she gives, which I love, they took it from the movie and they were like, you have to do it again for the pilot for people who did not catch the film. I actually found it to be quite intense and a lot of pressure. You've got big dreams. You want fame. Well, fame costs, and right here is where you start paying, in sweat. I want to see sweat, and the better you are, the more sweat I'm going to demand. So if you never had to fight for anything in your life, put your gloves on and get ready for round one. And mama and daddy's little darlings had better come out swinging. And I thought about it. The fact that the show is called Fame, that's one of the things I don't like about it. I love the show itself, them centering arts education. I love them saying, hey, there's a, a life behind 
there's something beyond just taking a music class after school or taking a dance lesson on Saturdays, that there is a life that you can make for yourself, young person, that can um, bridge you into a professional life as an artist. But calling it fame, I felt was so much pressure. Right. And her saying, like, if you want it, you're going to have to work for it and you're going to have to sweat for it. And it starts here. And it doesn't, though. I'm living a life in Los Angeles with way more misses than successes. But I am no different than the person who is committed to teaching creative writing after school in their local library in Kansas City, right? We're on the same path, which is using our professional artwork and sharing it with other people while we're making our artwork in real time. So I hated that they called it fame. I wish they would have thought of something different. Yeah, Debbie Allen's speech was the only thing that I was kind of like, man, sister, lean back a little. This is a lot of pressure, (laughs) right? Yeah, and contrast with the scene where the music teacher is trying to get the pianist to play just like everybody else, which I thought was another really interesting moment that maybe doesn't contrast the idea of fame, but... There's something I love about the teacher saying to that kid. I don't love the way he says it. And it's scripted in a a way that, you know, I have a lot of issues, could take issue with. But love that he says, yes, of course, you can do your own thing. But also, you got to learn to play with everybody else. One of the things that I value a lot about art making practices in teaching and learning is how they facilitate collaboration and collaborative practice and artists lifting one another up. And I think that's what that scene is sort of supposed to get at. I think it's a little ham-handed in the way it's done. But I think it's supposed to indicate that it's not just about being the one who stands out all the time. So I I sort of liked that we got a little bit of Debbie Allen intensity. And then we got a moment of, and also learning to be an artist is about learning to play alongside everybody else. Right. Well, ham-handed could have been another name for the show if we're if we're looking for one. What well, I was going to bring this up. What the teacher says to Bruno is, Martelli, if you please, the same notes and rhythm as the rest. And I took the same thing. At first I heard that, and I was like, oh, you. But then what he goes on to there, I was like, this is an orchestra. And I get that you've got your thing too, and both are important. And Christina, that same thing struck me of just like fame do not make that these people's goal. That is such a destructive force. And we see that much more now when you can, the striving to be famous because you're famous, which is so absolutely destructive to younger people, to all people right now. But I I, I saw that same thing. How about we call it like, Talent that you work on, that you still, you know, inborn talent that you still have to work on. I realize that is not as pithy as fame. Craft! Exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it could be, and it could Craft! be, it could, it could be sponsored by macaroni and cheese. And I think that they would have had themselves a couple extra seasons here. Okay, obviously we can do fame forever. Let's leave the early '80s here and move a few decades to. Glee. We are looking at season three, episode 12. This is The Spanish Teacher, available on Disney Plus if you want to go check that out. In Glee, we have this great artist educator who isn't really capable of doing very much else and really highlighted in this episode. This is the one with Ricky Martin. uh, And my goodness, I should say he is the best actor by a country mile in this episode. He was so So very good. Anyway, he suggests to Will Schuster that if Will wants his students to learn Spanish, but what they love to do is singing, 
Ricky says, You know what I would do if I was teaching Lee Club? Latin music. Think about it. Get those kids singing in Spanish, and they'll be learning the language without even realizing it. This struck me very much as the heart of your book, Erica. Students learning best when they are A, doing something, physically doing something, but also something that they love and that maybe this learning does not look like traditional classroom learning, but it still is learning. And Christina, it's what you were talking about earlier, the what you're slyly, what you're sneaking in there while you're doing this arts thing. But Erica, can you help us a little out with, with this? Yeah, I have a couple thoughts about that. One of the reasons that I thought this episode would be fun to talk about is that there's a lot of conversation about authenticity around all of this and the importance of authenticity in your arts practice, in your teaching, in the kinds of commitments you make to teaching and learning and to your life. And I think this idea that if the practice is authentic to you, whether that's in the form of singing in another language because it reflects the cultural values that both you have and that the music has, and that that is a way for you to express yourself, then we're all going to be more successful with the teaching and learning goals that we have. But I like, I, I know you're going to laugh, Alec, when I use the word subtlety to refer to this show. But I, but I think there's a subtlety to the scene that Naya Rivera has near the end when she reflects on the kind of terrible Spanish language performance that Will Schuster puts on. You went from La Cucaracha to a bullfighting mariachi. Why don't you just dress up as the Taco Bell Chihuahua and bark the theme song to Dora the Explorer? You don't even know enough to be embarrassed about these stereotypes that you're perpetuating. It, in some ways, speaks to what Christina was talking about in terms of her own experiences in schools and classrooms, which is you can't rent authenticity. Authenticity has to be about the genuine connections you make between who you are as a person, who you are as an artist, what kids are bringing as artists and as learners into the space, and how that combination creates really dynamic and authentic learning experiences. Christina, could you help the listener who I think has the challenge of, wait a second, though, I'm teaching this class and look, I can't figure out what 24 people authentically are, what they're coming from or their background. I just have this thing. We're going to do a song. The parents are going to come at the end of the day or they're going to come at the end of the semester. They're going to show it. So we're going to learn it. That's, I think, a traditional mindset and not seeing them, as Erica was saying, not seeing students as empty vessels, but as people bringing something. How do you, as a teaching artist, have the patience? How do you let a commitment to that inform your teaching practice when you have the pressures of time and what the school expects of you? How, how do you deal with that? I think it's interesting from watching this episode is, I don't know, there's like a huge mistake that Will Schuster makes, which is he thinks of himself as artist first, then teacher. And he's really mm. set on that performance. And I think that was the first mistake. Mm. And so I think if you are a teacher, whether you're, and it doesn't have to be that you're a teaching artist, you could be a, a teacher that travels because I also see that happen as well. I went to this place and I want to share with these kids what is happening where I went. It's not my experience that I had as living there. It's because I traveled there, which is two different things. But my point is, is I think also being able to step outside of your own ego and say, I'm not equipped to handle this. 
this isn't a lived experience. This is something I got to do for four days in Mexico or whatever right. the trip was, or for six months when I lived in this country, backpacking through Europe or whatever. And I think being able to like step outside of that and take you out of it and say, what do these kids really need? Is it me mm-hmm. trying to share that I lived in Spain or is it me really wanting to connect with the children and what they're eager to know about? So I think that was the first mistake you made. But also, I think go ahead and it's okay to also say as an artist with the restrictions of time and money that you have to say, I might need to bring in someone else if this is something I really, really want to do. And I do love, I think the way they met was a little haphazard. You know, he happened to be taking this class and so he came to the school. I don't know if that's like legal, but they made it work. (laughs) Um, I'm like... Are you okay? Are you authorized? You teach adults. I don't know that you're authorized to be around children. Is this okay? <laughs> so in that case, we have to be ready. Artists who are teaching, you you have to be able to improvise and be creative. And you might have to think outside of the box. And there might be one exception once you've built a rapport with the school or whoever you're working with. What's something creative that we can do to make sure this experience happens for our students in a way that feels organic and authentic and not just manufactured because this is something I want for the kids. And I just want to point out that in terms of our timeline that we're on, there's a shift from the fame style, full-time classroom teacher artists to artist teacher as after-school program leader who also quote-unquote needs a real job which I think reflects a real shift in the political scene from the 1980s to the 2000s, where Will has to, quote unquote, get a real teaching job because the job of Glee director has been pushed into the sidelines of the after-school space. He's competing with the football coach throughout the show. We see the cheerleading coach throughout the show because that's who he's competing for money and space and resources with, not the classroom teachers. Right. Yeah. We're seeing the history of how the arts are valued in classrooms by looking at it across these kind of dropping in every 20 years. As we move on, we're just going to have someone that just volunteers to come in and do some art. So we really are going to finish that that arc. I was in the Glee Club. They called it Show Choir when I was there. And yeah. mm-hmm. I will say there's other episodes. His resistance, I think, to even take on modern music, which is kind of what put the show on the map. I also want to say, like, he does have some good, strong moments, which is he does listen to the kids and they're like, we should do things that are more modern. And instead of doing kind of like these old Broadway classics. And I think that's something that every artist that's teaching in schools needs to embrace. Teachers in Mm. general, but especially artists, is to embrace what the kids are interested in now. What young people want to do now, instead of dressing people down for not knowing the classics. There's so much more beyond. And I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is a great example of that. It's okay if you don't know the words to Annie Get Your Gun, but if you know... Words from Hamilton that makes total sense to me. Or right. if you even you know modern contemporary rap music, you still know verse and rhythm and rhyme. So I like that. Will I think Glee the show itself is a real direct result of him realizing, oh, Sondheim is not the end all be all for Glee Club. 
I think it's a beautiful example of a teacher then kind of releasing their own agenda and saying, I want to do what the kids want to do. Mm. So we're going to we're going to wrap up here with Abbott Elementary, which takes a different path here. First of all, it's not necessarily about arts educators, but one that is brought in. Also, it's much more about the relationship among the teachers rather than teacher to students, certainly in in what we looked at here. This is a a new show that takes place in an underfunded public school. We're looking at season one, episode seven, which is called Art Teacher. Go check that one out. Okay, so we have a volunteer art teacher, which was a phrase that was new to me. So, Erica, you can unpack that for us later. But she walks in saying, Well, I'm so excited to be here. I cannot wait to collaborate. That's the first sort of words out of her mouth. And then when she's told they're going to continue this annual tradition of doing an art project around the book Peter Rabbit, she asks, Are you sure Peter Rabbit is the way to go? I just wonder if there's maybe a more relevant story. And at first, we're catching her drift. We definitely get where she's coming from. At the end, they do manage to find a way to compromise. They do a project based on the book, but she kind of takes it to another level. She creates a whole forest, as it turns out, out of the books themselves. She cuts up the books. But in the end, they got to get rid of her. She moves out of the circle of good, as we say, because she's got a vision, but doesn't seem to care about the needs of the other educators around her. So... Erica, what what did you think about our, what is it, volunteer art teacher? And tell us about that. So it is not a phrase that I am super familiar with. That is probably a solution that schools that don't have access to arts organizations in their cities and towns may take up. But most of the arts experiences that I know of that in the current climate come from the outside come from nonprofit arts organizations like the kinds that Christina and I worked in, where you are not a full-time certified licensed teacher, but you are a paid professional with the kinds of tools and skills that we bring into the classroom. So I have not often seen, I mean, I think, you know, it's a sitcom, right? So they're taking it to the extreme. I think they are taking the idea of the teaching artist and stretching it to imagine, like, what if that person really didn't have the support of a community of other artists that to help her balance and gauge her instincts (laughs) relative to what actually goes on in a classroom or in a school? That's reflected, Alec, in what you said about at the very beginning of the episode. I was like, oh, I know this person. Right. And I was like, I see where she's. And then I was like, oh, no, wait, no, what? No, no, no. Which is the sitcom format. Right. That's what we're supposed to do as audience members. So they obviously worked it right into the stretch the truth version of the story. And what did you think of her? What would you have to say to her if you if you had feedback for her, if you were doing a a, a sit down with her and, and we have to skip over the. So how did that go for you? Because she's not here to answer that. So now it's just your turn. Give us a sandwich here. Good, bad, good. What's the bad part in the sandwich there? I mean, I imagine the bad part is using the word collaborate, but actually meaning we're going to do my idea. Mm. Right? Mm. I mean, she, she does not collaborate. She thinks she's collaborating because she's taking their base text. She thinks that's collaborating. Right. right. I think I would go back to and I think Christina said this earlier as we were talking to, well, what are the learning goals here? And frankly, I would ask the same thing as kindly as I could so that she didn't take her earrings out and try to beat me with a book as kindly as I could of the teachers too. right. 
what are the goals of the Peter Rabbit masks? And to see if we, because the instinct to move the project from decorative bunny masks to something more meaningful, I think is the right instinct. The challenge is how do you draw on the teacher's expertise of what it is they think they want to accomplish and then offer them something that you think the arts can accomplish that makes that goal better, richer, more meaningful, more exciting, and more interdisciplinary. So, Christina, this is precisely the character that you were talked about earlier, the flighty that flies in broadly, either about this episode or about her. What, what was your take on it? This episode, I appreciated the volunteer art teacher aspect, which was, again, showing that we're in a need of resources. But mm-hmm. I think the main thing the art teacher playing the resource gets wrong is that she does not realize she's already coming into a school that, whether they see it or not, has resources, right? Mm-hmm. They have teachers who care, teachers who have a plan, teachers who want to give gifts, teachers who are willing to spend their own money on art resources, which is adding actual physical books to the classroom that are not required. Right. So every artist has to remember when you come into a school, it's not a phrase I brought up, but it's not a Christmas tree school. You are not bringing gifts Mm. and ornaments to put onto the school and making it so heavy it falls over. Recognize that the school is already, the students and the educators there and the staff there, they are working together. They are a world that is self-sustaining. They can take care of themselves. Anything you bring should be extra and you should not take or destroy anything that is there. She physically, literally destroys those books. And I was just, I was so done. I would argue that her instinct was wrong because Mm. the mask, I'm not particularly talented at it, but we know people that are, there's whole schools for clowning and mask work. So she could have used those Peter Rabbit masks and done something with them without actually destroying the actual literal text that that teacher, no doubt, sacrificed to pay for herself. Just remembering that you are not a gift to the school. You are there to get in where you fit in. Mm. You do as you see, do what other people are doing. You're not here to turn things upside down. What are you, Beverly Hills cop? Stop. (laughs) Do what the school is doing and respect this teacher. And I thought it was just like super disrespectful. But yeah, I think even more than flighty is being a disrespectful Mm. teaching artist. Mm -hmm. I... She would be let go. I would release her to find new opportunities. <laughs> to spend more time with her family, to transition, mm-hmm. to, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. To focus on her installation at her home. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a lovely point what you said. I appreciate that you reminded me that, like, maybe the mask is a good idea, but maybe an artist who understands mask work could come in and say, well, let's think about, like, what other materials might we have available to us? Or how might we learn a little about pantomime and how masks allow us to represent story in a different kind of way and to elevate the idea maybe rather than do your own idea. I mean, obviously the cutting up of the books, but even just doing your own idea, right? And it makes me think about the scene when they walk in the library and how there's the kids with their bunny masks on one side of the room and then the installation on the other. And actually, the artist has done nothing to put those two things together. Yeah, they're not integrated at all. 
Right, totally. Right. In fact, as I was writing a question, I was trying to remember, wait, what was her plan? And it turned out she just did this other thing. Mm -hmm. She cut up someone's books and the kids still made the masks. Yeah, that mm -hmm. I, I was confused at that as well. And also, it's a great example of it's helpful when you get these offers as a teaching artist, if you get them. It's okay to say, too, as an artist, maybe this isn't the place for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I think her name was Sahar, which is such a great name. She has a personal connection with the teacher at the school. We don't know that she has a real personal connection or experience with teaching children how mm. to make art. Those right. are two different things. Because right. I got a lot of great friends that they have no business being in the classroom. They are very talented. <laughs> but I'd sooner see them on TMZ than I would see them in a classroom. <laughs> the two don't go together. Don't get me wrong. Artists have real lives outside of their work in schools. But I do think there's something to be said for, you just know the type of person that's like, I'm ready to be in this classroom. And I don't see myself as even a teaching artist, but as someone who's working with 20 other younger artists who just aren't as far along as I am. And I did not feel that from the art teacher in Abbott Elementary. Right. I felt she was like, this is my chance to do another exhibition that I didn't get to do. <laughs> right. you know, she was just doing her own thing. Right. And I just want to point out to the thing about volunteer that's potentially so problematic, which actually maybe the writers were trying to highlight, is that who can afford to be a volunteer teaching artist? Right. Folks that have the kinds of personal resources that allow them to see themselves as dilettantes or to see themselves mm. as, well, I'm really making my art, but to be nice to the children, to be <laughs> nice to the community. Yeah. And it's something that as somebody who designs and runs arts outreach programs, we think a lot about in terms of how we pay our teaching artists as professionals in the classroom. Because how you pay people for their time not only reflects how you feel about them as contributors to the community, but also reflects who gets to do the work. Because right. if you need to, quote unquote, get a real job <laughs> in order to even be able to be a teaching artist... That says something about the values of who's in the classroom as well. And I would guess that was also part of the message that sure. they were trying to communicate in using the word volunteer purposefully multiple times throughout the episode. Oh, I also took volunteer to mean you get what you get. I mean, it's not like you're paying for this. Mm. Right. And right. so mm -hmm. there is a certain like the bar has been lowered because we right. have to just take what we can get. But again... Mm -hmm. That school, they have resources, whether they can see them, you know, every time or not. No, you can be choosy. You can expect the best and you can expect the best from your artists that come into your school. One of the things I, I like about the conceit is I think a gallery walk is actually a really fabulous structure for showcasing artwork that students have created. It's a pedagogical strategy. It's a teaching strategy that anyone can use which is to create a meaningful audience for student work that is accessible to the school community, to the classroom, to families, right? I mean, I sort of love that the principal's like, oh, like an art show? Great. She recognizes, I think, the idea that a public display of student work is a really excellent way to showcase creativity, I actually think an, a gallery walk, an art show, an art walk, a performance, all of these authentic opportunities to share work 
not only can work in public schools, but are a cornerstone of arts education and arts integration in all public education. So plus one for the art show. If I was just a, a teacher at the school and not as an artist, I would say, girl, you're already doing art shows. You know, every time you do a project or you're working on something with the kids and you take it out in the hallway and it goes mm-hmm. up and the parents come see it or if the kids get to walk by and see it every time they have to go for their bathroom break or to lunch. I, I would say we're displaying work that we've done and showing it to others. You know, maybe we're not getting feedback in real time, but I want to say you're already doing it. And I think it's about Mm. breaking down the elements and saying maybe this is a different way we're going to do it. It's going to be more formal or we're going to put it in one specific space, because I think that was one of the main issues was, can we use the library for this? And even that was just like a conversation they had to have, which is I need to get approval to use the space that is already in the school for my art. And that's something that's going to happen in life as an artist, you will probably (laughs) feel. But once you can get past that, you know, and say, I can be making my art, whether people give me permission to or not, Mm. you know, that's a lesson there that that students will learn from that as well. I can do it wherever. It can go in the library. That's fine. It doesn't just have to go outside the classroom. So a long way around for all that. I would dare say to that teacher, I think we're already doing it. Let's Mm. go for it. But do not cut up people's books unacceptable. <laughs> I mean, that that's what makes for good comedy, right? Where like the seed of the idea is right and good and genuine. And then it just goes horribly wrong from there, right? You yeah. could imagine if she worked with the kids out of found materials to create a forest in the library that the bunnies could hang around in, like that's a sort of cool idea, right? So the seed was there and then where it goes horribly wrong, right, is in all of the ways that this human has no idea how to interact with other humans. Right, and if you haven't paused to watch it yet, she takes these newly purchased, beautiful copies of Peter Rabbit. They just bought new ones out of one of the teacher's pockets for the first time in decades. And she takes a pair of scissors and cuts them up and makes an art installation out of them. No bueno. We don't like that. Erica, would you like to take us home here? Would you like to wrap, wrap this up? And, and just to, to give you something to, to chew on, you, you've pointed out already, we started out with fame, with arts as the beating heart of a school. And then we moved into pushing it towards after school glee club. And we've ended with some lady we got to bring in and we don't even know who she is. So wh- where are we now? Where, where are we now? What's next? Oh, man, that's a great question. I mean, I think one of the reasons I'm making this show is to highlight and uplift all of the ways in which educators who center the arts have changed people's lives through their practice because a singular pathway through is not going to capture how the arts live in all of our learning lives. And this is probably true if we talk to mathematicians, right? School is one space where some subset of people become inspired to be better versions of who they are. But there are so many other spaces where that happens I have spent most of my career, as have folks like Christina and you, Alec, transforming people's lives for the better by engaging with them through the arts. Mm. I want to make that conversation richer and bigger and broader to explain how 
all of these pathways are pathways to successful humanhood. Christina, thank you so much for joining us here. Erica, thank you for joining, being, creating all of this. Thank you, Erica, for being my friend. Um, Christina, we've got one more thing for you, though. Erica, I've got one teed up. I don't know if you do. Okay. No, you go go ahead. So we like to end our show. We brush it all off. And we like to end with just a little fun and games here. We're going to do three Three things. things. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question, and we're going to look for three things, three answers to it. Are you ready for it? Real simple. Here we go. All right. If I gave you a Peter Rabbit book, what are three things you would do for fun with a Peter Rabbit book? Well, obviously, create a comedic version of Peter Rabbit. I do an interpretation of that. That's one one thing. I'd love to see Peter Rabbit, the hip-hop opera, (laughs) completely sung. (laughs) That's two. two. This isn't my skill set, but I would love to work with someone to develop a silent version of Peter Rabbit for the stage. Oh my goodness, that is three. That is a fantastic three things. Christina, thank you so much. Erica, I've got a question for you. What are are, are three ways that people can interact with this very podcast? This very podcast? Well, the first one is if you are inspired to learn more about how we interview artists, and to interview your own mentor, visit us on our website, artseducatorspodcast.com slash contact to download our handy dandy interview form. That's one long one. Okay. You can also ask questions, submit comments, and generally participate in our community. Also through our website, that's artseducatorspodcast.com. Two things. And please rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. We would love to make more of these to talk to more of your favorite artists of all forms and their mentors. And we can only do that through your promotion of our work by rating and reviewing us. Three things. Bam. Awesome. Onward together. Onward together. Arts Educators Save the World is hosted by Erica Rosenfeld Halverson and produced and co-hosted by me, Alec Lev. Our executive producer is Doug Matica and our audio producer is Justin Asher. We are also executive produced by the fantastic group at Story Pirate Studios, Lee Overtree, Benjamin Salka, and Amy Fiore. Original music is by Dan Lipton and our artwork is by Lyra Evans. Check out our website, designed by Cole Locasio, at www.artseducatorspodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Arts Educators. Yes, somehow that wasn't taken yet. And on Instagram at Arts Educators Podcast. Write to us with your questions and comments at contact at artseducatorspodcast.com. And wherever you're listening, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps the show. We are proud to be sponsored in part by the Wallace Foundation, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and the Gibb Faculty Fellowship. Arts Educators Save the World was created by Erica Rosenfeld-Halverson and Alec Lev. <laughs>